This is a 1661 Jesuit relations document regarding the Wendigo. What caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men de uh, deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations of, to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming, had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. These poor men, according to the report given us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They were afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these <coughs> all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously without being able to appease their glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and more greedily, the more they eat. The ailment attacked our deputies, and, as death is the sole remedy among these simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. Yikes, buddy. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is uh this is our European episode. Yes, yes. Welcome to episode four of yeah. More of the Folks. Booyah. Booyah. Thanks for tuning in, long time listeners. Long time first three episode listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Been here since day one. Yeah, if you're new Two here. Two weeks ago. Uh welcome. This is uh basically this is Lore of the Folks. We talk about folklore, um, and and cultural lore. <laughs> we just talk about lore. Just, it's non-fiction lore. Yeah. We like to Yeah, some people call it history. We call it non-fiction. <laughs> we call lore. those people nerds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we call those guys virgins. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> uh, I can't. Disgusting. But uh <laughs> anyway, this, yeah, this is uh coming to a close of our first season here. We got two episodes left, this one and the and the one following. <clears throat> uh first season discussed the First Nations. These yeah. are the uh, indigenous Americans of the Great Lakes region, so mm -hmm. that's subarctic Canada yep. and northeastern U.S. woodlands. Um, very rich history, as we discussed <laughs> in the first three episodes. Indeed. Lots to go at from their perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, lots of culture, um, lots of language use. <laughs> By that, I mean just the linguistics of it all. Linguistics, yeah. Um, uh, for example, if you didn't tune in last week, the Ojibwe got their name from the Cree, which was week two's uh, topic of discussion. So they, they worked together for the most part. Of course, there were traditional enemies among the Native Americans, um, but the First Nations are kind of the surviving group, I guess you could say, one of, the, yeah. of European contact. They're the largest, uh, yeah, the remaining American Indians. Yeah. Um, yeah. But tune into episodes two and three to listen to us butcher every <laughs> word in their language. Absolutely. Amen. No justice was done yeah. there. Um, and as you'll see in the next episode next week, uh, both of these nations uh, fostered this mythology of the Wendigo. Um, and that document we read at the very beginning was in a French account of um, a Wendigo event i guess you could say event event an encounter close encounter of the spooky kind of the, of the wendigo kind the wendigo kind yes and that, that's going to set the tone for today's episode and now we're going to be talking about the events of the same region 
from the other point of view. Yeah, the European yeah. settler, this colonizer, the kinda, puritanism. This is the kind of point of view you're going to get in your history textbooks. Yeah, this is <laughs> the valiant vanquishing of the valiant barbarians. Vanquish. Kill the Indian, save the man. Yeah. <laughs> well, ready to hop into it? Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. How'd you like to open it up? Yeah, well, um, I'm going to kind of stick with the Ojibwe um, as far as looking at it through a European lens. Okay, I have the um, similar, just for the Cree, for the Cree, in cool. their interactions with them. Perfect. And then we'll just assume that this is similar for most of the First Nations. Obviously, there's going to be different uh, bits of history, but I think the best way the, to approach repressed history yeah. is. Um, Boil it down to two, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just pick two, sort of glaze over the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just fill in. Yeah. From our More or less, listener, take an educated guess. Take an Based educated on guess. our two accounts of our two nations, uh, what happened to them. I think you can figure out what happened to the other nations through using uh, context clues. Context clues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, to start off for the, o- the Ojibwe. The first report of the Ojibwe was a French report, um, a Jesuit relations document similar to the one we just read in the introduction Mm. uh, in 1640. The French created a friendship um, with the Ojibwe, and in return, the Ojibwe received firearms and European goods. Uh, They quickly began using these goods and firearms to fight their traditional enemies, specifically the Lakota tribe and the Fox tribe to the west. Nice. Very nice. They, uh, oh, on top of that, too, um, a little bit later down the line, about a decade or so down the line, they fought alongside the Ottawa and Potawatomi against the Iroquois. Iroquois. I don't know, I don't know how to say it. I think it. it's Iroquois. Iroquois? Yeah. Okay. The Iroquois kind of dominated uh, New York <laughs> at the time. Yep. So the Ojibwe pushed them back. And then the French ganged up on them, too. So wow. they had good relations with the French. What a shitty time to be an Iroquois. Yeah, very true. Poor Iroquois. But they had it coming in the Ojibwe's eyes. <laughs> so what about you? What do you got for kind of early relations? So for the first contact between the European and the Cree, it was, um, I believe it was actually a British company was the one who made first contact. Sort of the British, the French, and the Dutch, all uh, the relations up north. Of yes. the U.S. between the colonial regions was, was much different than it was in United States territory. Absolutely. There both was business between, to be had. Yeah, there was business to be had. And it, this goes both between the relationships between the European settlers between each other, mm-hmm. those settlers from other nations, as well as settlers between and interact between the settlers and the American Indians who are already there. Um, up north here, it's, it was mostly based around trade. Um, the atrocities didn't really get into full gear until about the like mid 19th century. Uh, yes, I have that as well. Yeah, but for the most part, it was uh, it was fur trading. The land up there is much more hostile than it is down south. The Europeans were way less equipped mm-hmm. to be out in the North American yes icy woodlands, There's especially a, during the winter. Absolutely, There's a greater struggle for survival. Yeah, the struggle for survival is greater. and and the you know the Native Americans, they knew the land better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, we see, especially if you analyze Algonquin language and other ones in general, it's all based around the land where a lot of European connotations come from Latin roots. And those Latin roots possess a lot of, a lot of, I'm not sure what the word would be. The vernacular is just sort of based around like masculine, yeah. feminine, um, 
oh, yeah. identifiers for everything. Mm-hmm. What was in the Algonquin language is based around animate and inanimate, hmm. which more shows um, the animistal animism. That's animism. What it's called. Yeah. yeah. So the animism and the belief that there's uh, sort of like a spirit and a higher power that permeates throughout everything, both living and non-living. Gotcha. And it just shows like... Interesting. So yeah. it kind of goes beyond the masculine, feminine, and neutered pronunciations and, and I don't know, <laughs> dialectics of words. Yeah. Gotcha. Like that. So it's more about um, like animate or inanimate spirits and things. Interesting. Okay. So the way you describe a deer and a person or like the, I don't know, just the wording of it would be more similar than like a deer and a rock. Gotcha. Or something just because those don't move. Sure. Yeah. And whatnot. It's inanimate. It is inanimate. Yes. Cool. And yeah, so they obviously had a way better, uh, you know, knowledge of the land and stuff. So the Europeans would they would kind of sit back in the winter and just just try and survive, really. Yeah. And uh, then they would trade pelts with the Cree, pelts and meats, um, mm. in exchange for cool shit like guns and horses. Which, wow. as we discussed in episode two, they would later used when they teamed up with the Blackfeet and the other nations of the Iron Confederacy yes. to bully the Americans. The Iron Confederacy. The Iron Confederacy. Incredible. But the first interaction that I have is by a British company, the Hudson Bay Company. I briefly touched on this in episode two. It was around 1682 that they had made first contact with the Cree. It was at the mouth of the Nelson and Hayes Rivers in Manitoba. They just sort of happened upon a band. They're like, holy shit, there's people here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, fuck? that's new. <laughs> oh, that's I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Who are these people governing on my oil? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are these people doing on God's land? God's land. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like initially first contact and for the first couple decades or so, uh, maybe even generations, uh, the... European contact with these First Nations seemed to be very amicable, very friendly and very open to kind of sharing each other's resources and uh, culture. Yeah, and that's a big part of the culture these Algonquin speak. Um, What's the word? Nations. Yeah. Um, Especially the Cree, I read it was like like this community giving, and that was a lot in their myths. It's how it's talked about, especially as I spoke about in episode two with... uh, all the animals that died so that Wasakachak could rebuild the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. They all gave their lives. Rest to in peace, Beaver. Rip Beaver. Mm. Rip Loon. Rip Rip Otter. <laughs> Poor Otter, bro. <laughs> otter. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that you would give something up to benefit everybody because that would also benefit yourself. And I think with the, yes. the Cree tribes, they all kept themselves very distant from each other just because of... Um, just the nature of the lifestyle, that nomadic lifestyle. Yeah. You can't have that many people in one place. Otherwise, Absolutely. It, you do get too competitive for resources. Uh-huh. And Infighting and then collapse. Yeah, that's most likely where that myth of the Wendigo comes from. Is Yeah. Is it's a lesson, really, through the story of, mm-hmm. about like greed and hunger. Yeah, treat, and, your, treat your fellow man with cooperation yeah. and moderation. Don't like take more than you need or you're just going to get sucked into it. Mm-hmm. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bad time for everybody. Absolutely. So probably when they first see these starving and cold European settlers, they're like, all right, well, let's trade. Since that's probably what they did with other tribes. And what was the word? Uh, they had a word for their parties. But like bands, I believe it would be. Yeah. Just bands. Bands, okay. Lodges. Yeah. So when they came across other bands and lodges, they would 
trade and help each other survive and then split up that way they're not in competition with one another gotcha okay yeah so that would probably explain their approach to the europeans and that they'd like you know they trade they get the cool exploding sticks Mm. give them some pelts thunder yeah the boom sticks the old caribou cleansers the caribou (laughs) the buffalo decimators buffalo decimator nine thousands with the weird pale skin wendigo looking motherfucking there yeah what happened next (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> then what happened well, <laughs> well i got here for the ojibwe they started fighting alongside the british yes <laughs> <laughs> so the ojibwe were kind of wishy-washy first they were all french then they were all british because the british gave them better guns and better supplies do be like that <laughs> uh and they actually fought alongside the british in the war of 1812 wow yeah it wasn't great <laughs> <laughs> um, being openly allied with the British, the especially American, after the British lose, yeah, yeah, the Revolutionary <laughs> War, um, yeah, the Americans, <laughs> they will remember this. <laughs> oh yeah, and sure enough, come 1850, um, right at you know the halfway point of the 19th century, uh, government officials are trying to forcibly remove. Ojibwe from the Great Lakes area. Oh, government officials love forcibly removing. Oh, all the time. So they had they hatched this plan. It's like they baseball said, or apple pie. It's an American <laughs> pastime. It's it's just what you do what as you an do. American. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> um, so these officials hatched a brilliant plan. They said, "Okay, they're not moving out of their community in Wisconsin. What if we move?" their payments west of the Mississippi into Minnesota territory. Mm. And so this would kind of force them to go collect payments and then come back. And they probably would prefer to settle where their payments are at as opposed to the cultural hub where it's always been. So 3,000 Ojibwe men went to collect payment west of the Mississippi. And this was in October, early, early ish October. How long of a trip is that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> probably. A little... I mean, it's from Wisconsin to Minnesota. It's definitely across states. Yeah. So a couple hundred miles, I would imagine. Yeah, walking that long. That, you know, you might be getting in, in a winter territory. Exactly. Up in well, Wisconsin, Minnesota, winter starts. That's in... the issue. They arrived in October. <laughs> Payments didn't get there until <gasps> December. Oh, mid, no. Early to mid-December. So <laughs> at that point, oh, yeah, so they... The government, so they got there in October, and the government's all like, oh, we're having trouble sending payments and supplies. So just hold out a little longer. We'll get them to you, quote unquote, as soon as possible. As soon as possible. Yeah. Payments and supplies get here in December. The payment isn't the full payment. Uh, and the, the supplies, the food, is all spoiled. Uh, so, <laughs> at this point, 150 Ojibwe men had already succumbed to starvation freezing to death, measles, you name it, they died from it. At this point, they were like, fuck this. We need to head back and tell everyone what's happened. So they make the trek back. And the trek alone, 200 to 230 more Ojibwe died on the way back. My goodness. Yeah. And so here's the real kicker. These We haven't been kicked yet? (laughs) Well, they have. But these (laughs) government officials kept this hush-hush even among the American populace. So when the Ojibwe got back, they told Chief Buffalo, 
the leader of this uh, Ojibwe tribe. They mm-hmm. told the chief buffalo, uh, and he told their neighbors, like, hey, did you know your your uh, your governing body is doing this to us? And it was massive outcry from both the Native Americans and local um, local Wisconsinians. Wisconsinians. <laughs> I don't know. The cheese heads. Yeah, the local cheese heads. Um, so they, they put their foot down and said, we are not moving west of the Mississippi. This is our homeland. These are where our communities are built. We are building reservations here or we're going to die fighting it. Then um, what happened? They, the government, because of the public outcry of the U.S. citizens oh, seeing wow. the atrocity, they allowed it. And so a lot of the reservations around the Wisconsin, Michigan area are um, the same kind of community hubs that have been established since they moved into the Great Lakes region. Mm. So kind of a good story, but kind of an awful atrocity. Really? Um, tar- I mean, I suppose it's a, a better case scenario ending yeah. as the majority of American Indian yeah. tribes did not get to pick their reservation territory. No, not at all. was usually not their like ancestral home because <laughs> that's no. like, that's nice land. That is why they were living there in the first place. Yeah. The U.S. government would just kind of give them the shitty land. Absolutely. Yeah. Oklahoma land. Oklahoma land. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Nevada desert. Yeah. Just (laughs) bare bones. No means of real self-sufficiency. Can't really survive. Yeah. Yeah. Really fucked up. The fact, and yeah, I mean, the only reason they did this, it would be beneficial politically because there were many that despised Native Americans. Because, you know, that's the ideology of Puritanism America. Oh, yeah. Um, and also, the um, it would be economically, as you stated earlier, <laughs> economically beneficial to have those lands, to have those properties. Yeah. Oil, gold. real estate, gold, yeah, free real natural estate. resources, yeah. everything. Um, so they, the Americans took a fat L on that one, but at the cost of about 350 Ojibwe deaths. Hmm. Um, yeah, very tragic. All for like a trip to the bank. Yeah, exactly. So kind of bittersweet for the Ojibwe that they get to keep their ancestral home. But the fact that it had to come to a deliberate uh, halting of resources and payments to try to force them out, it just made them dig their heels in more. And it became very clear that they weren't going to be leaving anytime soon. So they settled, they compromised on that. What do you got? <laughs> in general, with, with the Cree, any, any general, fun American uh, Cree? Um, the Cree being more north, they didn't have as many interactions with the Americans. It was mostly good the... Good for them. Good for them, yeah. <laughs> they. Uh, it was mostly the, as I said in episode two, there's lots of different subcultures mm-hmm. within like the general Cree identity. Yes. So there was the Plains Cree who adopted a very different lifestyle. It was still, you know, like nomadic hunting gathering, but it was all mm-hmm. based on horseback. Up north, that like Arctic Canadian region, it's like toboggan and snowshoe and canoe. Hmm. Um, the horses they couldn't really, they couldn't really uh, yeah. hang with it. Up Can't there. really travel in two to three feet of snow every winter. Yeah, they don't got they don't got the caribou legs. Yeah, um, <laughs> caribou legs. So the horses down on the plains. Imagine having horse legs in the winter. Yikes! Pathetic. <laughs> Moose gang. Moose gang all the way. That'd be cool. But Riding the Plains Cree in the battle and the Iron Confederacy. You just rock up on a moose. Yeah, just fucking up Americans on a moose. That'd be hot. Moose are scary. Yeah, they are. Moose are terrifying. Yeah, they'll stomp the fuck out of you. Moose could. They could think it takes some bullets too. And give a fuck. Fun fact for you listeners: 
Don't approach a moose if you see one. Don't ever approach a moose. Other fun fact about moose is that um, the like little skin and the hairs on their antlers mm. shed in the spring. Hmm. And like aspen trees where they have all the scars on them and stuff because like elk sharpen their antlers on it. Moose like use it to tear that like shedding skin off. Oh. So there's like a one month period where moose kind of look like zombies because it's like bloody torn skin oh, like God. hanging off their antlers. Incredible. And it just makes them even scarier. Yeah. They're not to be fucked with. They are not. Wow. North American hippos. <laughs> Very true. Anyway, what was I saying about the Cree? <laughs> something, oh, yes. something caribou horses. And caribou horses. So the horses were, they. those belonged to the Plains Cree a little further down south at like Montana yes. area. Cool. Um, and they had they had allied up with, with the Blackfeet Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know who the Blackfeet Indians are, they're, they're like the Spartans of North America. Like that's just the reputation they have. It's like... The Apache warriors, yeah, like that's their big. That was also they're, the they're black. They're big thing. on fighting. They, yeah, and they're very good at it. Mm-hmm. They got very good at horseback fighting, um, just sort of like that hit and run, blitzkrieg esque, yeah, warfare, scalping, that's, murdering. Yeah, the the Iron Confederacy, the Blackfeet. These are uh, the relations that they had with the Americans are sort of why Americans adopted the kill on sight policy for ah. Indians. In Lovely. The, yeah. In Don't those, you just love when they, the when they generalize were, from one culture? Every yeah. single Native American culture is barbarous. They're and all the same. Aggressive. Yeah. Yep. Incredible. Real good critical thinking skills back critical in the day. Critical thinking. Like, uh, it's like being alive in like post-Roman era Europe. <laughs> it's you like get being attacked. a woman in Massachusetts during the Salem era. <laughs> You're all a witch. <laughs> yeah. You get attacked by one little Germanic yeah. fucking... Yeah, mud-eaten fuck, and then you go walk over to like you know Holy Rome and mm-hmm. say that they're all the same as well. Yeah, it's like doing that. Holy Roman conquest, baby. Holy Roman conquest. Mm-hmm. But that's what the Plains Cree were up to. Um, yeah, and so lots of fighting, pretty much, is where you could chalk that up to horses cool. and guns and whatever yeah. passed for cocaine back in the day. It was just <laughs> it was all action. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, up north, I'd like um, to see an action movie or something. With the Cree. I bet that'd be pretty tight. That would be... I was going to say, there's a lot of Western actions, but yeah. the, the perspective is a little <laughs> skewed. Slightly skewed. <laughs> Slightly biased. Yeah. Some would say. Yeah. Only some. Um, but up north, again, relations between the British and the French were... It was mostly amicable. I say mostly because they were still doing some sketchy shit. It, they had a similar approach to how the treaties worked as the Americans did mm. where they would just sort of get you to sign a treaty and then not hold up their end of the bargain at all. Mm. Or they would like Man, barely, that's so weird. They would dip their toes in, you know, the territory and they'd find like some 15 year old kid with absolutely no authority. And they'd be like, sign this treaty and you'll get like five horses and a bunch of guns. And the kid's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then they'll go to the chief and be like, your people signed this treaty. We now have this land. Yikes. <laughs> They're like, what? Ooh. That's brutal. It, so it'd That's be, really cutthroat. That's it, a shitty business practice. Yeah, it's, it was, it's, some, it's some shady business practices, but um, open violence was not as common just because the need for survival from external factors was so high, mm. especially on the Europeans end. Yeah. Also, are you like in this sense, do you mean like winters? Yeah, okay. winter. It's just harsher environment up there. Mm-hmm. It's harder to survive. And so they kind of needed the Indians to, you know, even be able to keep a foothold in that region gotcha mm-hmm. um just in because they knew you know the patterns of the game and where the furs would be you know you could have your dutch trapper bringing in 
10 belts in so-and-so amount of time. A Cree one could, you know, easily pull in like triple that. Sure. They just knew what was up. 20 to 30. Yeah. Yeah. They know the methods. They've been learning them through generations, through oral history and yeah. how to hunt. So it was practice. mostly, it was a lot of that. And those relations didn't start to fall apart until the mid 19th century, because mm-hmm. that's when they were able to get some more infrastructure in there. Um, the French uh, managed to build, I think it was the Canadian Railroad, which allowed them to cross those vast distances between settlements much quicker. Gotcha. And they therefore did not need as much assistance from the Cree like that. The British also got this cool idea um, <laughs> to just convert everybody. Oh. So, yeah. Ooh, convert uh, faith-wise? Faith-wise, yes, to Christianity. Oh. There was, it was a big, big move. And that's a lot of, um, that belief had influenced Americans as well because they had seen the British be doing it. Mm-hmm. The Americans were like, just fucking kill all the Indians. But it was the British that had, had the, the sentiment of kill the Indian, save the man. Have you ever heard that one? Uh, you mentioned it earlier yes. already. That was that was popular. Kill the Indians, save kill the Kill the Indians, save wow. the man. And it's not like actually killing them. It's killing their culture. Gotcha. And that in killing the Indian wow. inside them, you can save the man. It's this belief that oh, there is so like they, a, Yeah, they're, they're like a sinner. They can still be saved. Yeah, it's There's, pretty much like salvation is wow. what the British thought they were doing for wow, them that and is, the Americans. That is awful. The Spanish a lot as well in Southwest United States. Mm-hmm. Um they had a big mission, missionary. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's oh, why those. We should definitely, in later seasons, we should talk about like South American <laughs> <laughs> colonization. Oh, <man. laughs> they got it they rough. Got, yeah, they got really. They fun. got the shaft on that. But yeah, yes, the idea of kill the Indian, save the man, and that there's there's some salvation to be had. They don't recognize the indigenous way of life as like civilized at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they see that as like barbarism, but they see that the people within those communities could be saved from such barbarism. Yeah, the, the individual. Yeah, the individual. Kill the Indian, converted. save the man. That was, that was a big quote. Wow, okay. That inspired a lot of the missions and the uh, non-internment camps. The boarding schools. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Boarding schools was Today a Today you thing. might call those re-education camps. Yeah, re-education camps. It, re-education was, was the goal. It was tough. Yeah. It was rough. God, that's brutal. So they really they their goal was to break down the Native American ideology, yeah, and, so and the, replace it with a more Western focus. Yeah. Mm. So that was um, that was the big conflicts that they would have, and while there would be fighting, it was mostly over treaties where the treaties mm-hmm. would just intentionally like fuck them out of land, gotcha. so much land. Yeah, that's that's what I have written here for Canada for the most part with the Ojibwe's. Like even today, there's court cases about the treaties that were signed. Hundreds of years yeah, ago like to see whose land is, you know, who owns the land pretty much. Yeah. And they're still battling for that today. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. But <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler well. alert. <laughs> um, but most of like a good 50, the Cree nation is the largest surviving Native American um, mm-hmm. nation, especially among the First Nations. 55% of them, of the 6,500 enrolled tribal members, are in the Rocky Bay Reservation. Hmm. And that's, um, I believe it's like a little west of Great Slave Lake. Yes. Yeah. You talked about Great Slave Great Lake. Great Slave Lake. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Not a name that they... That lovely they scenery. Gave. Lovely scenery. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of gold to pan for against mm-hmm. your will. Anyway. Anyway. 
Rocky Bay Reservation is you where get most the of them now guys. live. It's, the rest of Canada is, yeah. well, Canada as we know it today. Mm-hmm. You got Mounties and, and pancakes. and. Mm. You ever had a beaver tail? I didn't know you could eat those. But no, it's 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 like a giant waffle, pretty much. Oh, but they call them beaver tails. No, it sounds like a sex position. <laughs> the beaver tail. The beaver tail. Yeah, that's the Cree sex position. <laughs> but the Cree fucked. Swift Listen River. <laughs> Give me that beaver tail. <laughs> <laughs> that's permanently on the internet now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we can edit that out, maybe. Nah, I'm gonna make it louder. <laughs> yeah. Make it, <laughs> yeah. Make it so the listeners have to turn down their, uh, yeah. Their they're, they're in their room or like they're in the car with yeah. the window rolled down or something at a red light, and someone's next to them. Mm-hmm. They're just gonna hear that really loud. Swift River, give me that beaver tail. Yeah, in the street. <laughs> uh, one thing that we have to touch on: epidemics. Oh baby. Yeah, this is probably the biggest killer. That is, yeah, epidemics I are mean, the single biggest killer. Of yeah. The- we nations are shitty, but epidemics, you simply, I mean, you can't stop them. Yeah. What do you do about it? Yeah. They, yeah. We didn't even have the medicine for, you know, smallpox or measles. So yeah. we were fucked when you got that. Even when we do have the medicine and the means to combat an epidemic, we still get fucked. Human stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. We can look at today. You can, can make your own decisions. Make your own inferences as to what a, what a, an outbreak would look like without vaccines. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert 40 to 80 percent of each tribe <laughs> lost their population to disease yikes yikes some indeed. were just completely wiped out yeah there would be yeah especially in like yeah like southwest region mm-hmm. spanish settlers Imagine would that. just come on to ghost towns mm-hmm. be like huh who used to live here for real nobody i guess no my land now my land now wow pre-built yeah. by god for me epidemics truly they ravaged the native american population the, yeah, I mean, they were they were essentially in a bottle, or I don't know, in their own ecology, their own. It was their yeah, own a biome. totally separate bubble, even yeah. from like you know the furthest stretches of China all the way to mm-hmm. you know Spain. There's still land connecting them, trade routes, Silk Roads. Yeah, there are ways for people to garner immunities to the diseases of like you know. Yeah, but the Americas were absolutely fucked. Yeah, they, they were... had no exposure to any of these horrendous diseases, Black Death measles smallpox yeah. etc and diseases yeah. like that didn't really crop up in north america as much just because of the lifestyle people were yeah. much more spaced out mm-hmm. a lot of these diseases spread when you know you're just in like some shit-filled city yeah for real dude like london did not have a sewage system people were just dumping shit in the street just shitting in like, the street yeah Ugh. yeah so yeah definitely a different lifestyle arguably a better one in that regard uh, kind of the close-knit community as opposed to the <laughs> stories and stories of Sick people throwing shit out windows together. Just the shit-filled plague houses. <laughs> plague-ridden, yeah. Plague-riddled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately for them, when they met these plague-riddled fucks, that means there's no immunity. Just no. the cock. And that kind of gave also kind of this idea of, like, bad omen from these colonizers. Oh, yeah. There's a bad omen because people are dropping like flies. Death only quite started... literally follows them yeah. wherever they go. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just their insatiable greed for land it's also just like the pathogens that they've they've carried on their bodies for their entire lives that's tough that is tough, <laughs> that is tough. <clears throat> that's all i got for i for this episode too. i suppose yeah myself as well the the european experience in mm-hmm. in the great lakes area is very similar to um 
the European experience in all of the Americas. Just, exactly. You know, yeah. Now pillage. Yeah, we mentioned this before the podcast, but it seems like Canada treated them <laughs> the slightest bit more. The humanely slightest, than, ever um, so slightly. The United more. States. The United States. I mean, we saw with the 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 Sandy. What is it? The Sandy Lake tragedy. That you know. Their intention was to fuck them up so they would lose morale. Yeah, it's like a goal. Yeah. With Whereas every treaty. Canada, for some parts, I have written here um, land treaties in Ontario, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. Um, some of them have been honored to this day. Some are still in dispute with court cases, but these treaties allowed the, the First Nations essentially to continue living their lives. They wanted to more or less be left alone. Give us our, you know, our community land so we can continue to fish and hunt and yeah live essentially to exist and obviously you know through time that is uh that is not that is dwindling the case. more and more these traditional livelihoods are all but extinct yeah um and now it's just poor infrastructure in these reservations that are leading to alcoholism general depravity oh yeah just like the worst conditions and uh, what mm -hmm. is it the generational trauma i think as it's called yeah and that in, you know if you're grandfather great-grandfather was like some war vet who saw the horrors of general custer or some shit mm -hmm. and they're just like a depressed alcoholic now probably gonna beat your grandfather he's gonna do it to your dad he's gonna do it to you and then you're gonna do it to your kids and then you're gonna do it to your kids and it because yeah. like what is, what's the point like life just sucks yeah um and i think it's it's safe to surmise that you know this kind of culture of a generational beatdown has not left Native American reservations even today. I mean, we had that shit, like, a, I can't remember if it was this last July or the July before, but, like, people were uh, protesting against the Lakota tribe in, like, the Mount Rushmore region, telling them to go back to their country. Oof. And, yeah. Go I'm, back to their country. Yeah, literally. And, like, you know, that's their homeland that they're trying to protest against, you know, oil pipelines being thrown into and, all these horrendous things. I'm not a politician. I'm not a politician. <laughs> I don't want to be a politician. Just some nerd on the internet. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just teaching. Teaching and learning. Come to That's your what own, we're doing. Come to your own conclusions. Yeah, come to your own conclusions. I certainly have mine. Just don't do it <laughs> based solely on American history textbooks. Yeah. Absolutely. When we research uh, for this podcast... Like we said, we're looking at Wikipedia, but we're looking at the resources of Wikipedia. Yeah, the sources um, Wikipedia uses. I, I got on JSTOR. I found yeah. one. Uh, it was called Incursion into the Wendigo Territories by Jackson Eflin. It was mm -hmm. an article written for Ball State University. Hella lib. Hella lib. He, Liberal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he essentially takes like a lot of the most popular Wendigo tales of the Algonquin region. And just sort of relates them to like white man bad. Gotcha. Um, interesting. But I think it's going to be very interesting to talk about because the dynamic and the myth of the creature has changed since colonialism yes. began. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, and, the you know, just the lessons behind it and the way it's defeated, both on the indigenous side and how it's been warped by um, the colonials who would tell the story. Yes. And all the way to this day, oh, it's a big popular monster in American folklore. Oh, um, yeah. And that monster is very different from what it was, you know, to the Cree, to the Ojibwe. Absolutely. Else. Yeah. We'll definitely be unpacking that as we get into it. 
Yes. Next episode. Next week, next baby. Episode. Next, next, next week. Next Wednesday. Tune in. Tune um, in. Big finale. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Um, remember to research from multiple different sources. Yes. Check your sources. Yeah. The U.S. government source for Native Americans is it's quite lacking compared it's, um, to <laughs> Anishinaabe sources. Yes. Um, um, YouTube is a great place. Go to like the... The YouTube channels of a lot of tribes put them up mm-hmm. just because it's a great way. And podcasts as well. Yeah, I'm seeing it's more. It's a great way to, to teach yeah. their culture. And Theirs is an oral history. Yes. It's not, you're not going to find the stuff like published scholarly articles about it. No. That's going to be white people writing that stuff. Mm-hmm. You're if you want find like, a man straight up telling you a story. Yeah. As he was told, as his yeah. family was told. Word for, for word. And God knows how long. Oh, so cool. I just can't get over how cool oral history is because it really is word for word from generation to generation. They really don't change anything. But check it out. Lots of cool stories and lots of interesting lessons behind them to unpack. We'll be getting into those next episode. See you then. Peace. Deuces.